Hello, folks. I think you'll enjoy this episode today. I wanted to give a little context on it just because uh, we, we had a great interview, but it started off a little bit rocky. Uh, we just had some uh, some internet-related challenges on a Zoom call, part of modern-day life in the COVID era, I suppose. Uh, so we had a couple false starts. We uh, tried, to, tried our best to keep recording and to... St- Splice it together. Uh, as a result, I think the chemistry between Jim, my guest, and me took a little longer to get started. So in the beginning, we're, we're not really on as much of the same page, but I, but we figured it out pretty quickly. And trust me, keep listening because Jim dropped a lot of really, really good knowledge, especially for folks interested in fintech or interested in startup communities or early stage investing. He turned out to be one of my more interesting guests for sure. So I hope you enjoy. I have started and exited multiple companies. I am an avid investor in early stage companies. I advise some of the hottest startups and have worked with many of the top tech companies across numerous industries. I'm a software developer by trade, but I also have an MBA from Duke University. I seek out companies who defy conventional wisdom to drive innovation in any industry. And in this podcast, I interview the founders of those companies for you. Hello, folks, and thanks for listening to the podcast. I've got a great guest today, uh, Jim Roberts, the founder of Whale or Wilmington Angels for Local Entrepreneurs. He's been involved in many economic development and early stage innovation supports group support groups, also uh, angel investing, which is a really unique combination of, of things. Um, I'm also very interested in hearing about the startup startup ecosystem in Wilmington. I live in the Charlotte ecosystem and. Uh, we talk a lot about it and I find it fascinating, but I'm hearing a whole, whole lot about Wilmington. Uh, there have been some major, major success stories over there uh, that I hope we get a chance to talk about. Jim, thank you so much for joining me virtually today. Oh, thank you very much. And thanks for the connection to my buddy, Todd Carlson. He and I are old uh, drinking buddies and uh, one of my favorite people on earth. So thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, Todd. Todd's been great. Todd is is uh, one who helped me out with this podcast in terms of figuring out kind of the electronics. We we built a studio together, and he he actually taught me a lot about just broadcasting in general. He's and he's a really fun guy to go have a drink with as well. We usually sip bourbon during the the show, and and Todd participates while he does the editing. <laughs> so where uh, so- was my live invert? My live invite. I'm a I'm a bourbon drinker as well. So well, next time you're in I'll, Charlotte, I'll sit in next time. Yeah, next time you're in Charlotte, you'll have to uh, to, to to visit the studio, or I can bring a remote studio to you. I'm actually going to be uh, going to Wrightsville Beach. Is that near Wilmington? Uh, it's all one real community, actually. Okay. So it's um, yeah, Wrightsville, Carolina Beach, and Wilmington, uh, all very close together. Awesome. Awesome. Well, so, so first of all, can you tell the listeners what, what Whale is? Whale is the Wilmington Angels for Local Entrepreneurs. We're five years old. We're an angel network. We have invested a million dollars in 14 deals. And not all of them are exactly Wilmington, but usually Raleigh, Durham, or we even have one in Myrtle Beach. And um, just a very small group of angel investors that we are a network and not a fund. And, um, 
interesting enough, another little tidbit is half of our entrepreneurs that we've invested in are veterans, military veterans. And um, the interesting part of that is that um, Wilmington has a high density of, of veterans. And uh, what we find is they're able to focus more. You know, your average civilian is distracted by the tourism destination that is Wilmington. And the, um, you know, the, the purposeful distractions, if you will. But we find the veterans are able to focus and maybe they have their Sundays off. And uh, that's been a very, I would say, a very big surprise, um, although I was also the person that brought Bunker Labs to Wilmington. And so I had a, you know, an extra focus on meeting with veterans. That's great. Are you familiar with Task Force X Capital here in Charlotte? I am, but I've never met with them. We've had a few LinkedIn exchanges, but I wasn't the leader of Bunker Labs North Carolina. And he had a much different relationship with them. That's, I'm not a veteran, um, so I didn't quite have that rapport with the leaders of other um, veteran organizations. But um, Dean Bunchu and Nick um, Bradfield were the two veterans that dealt with them the most. Awesome. Yeah, I love what, what Brandon's doing there uh, with Task Force X, and I've been meaning to get him on to the, the podcast. COVID threw a wrench in a lot of plans in 2020, right. obviously, right. Uh, but but I really admire what they're doing, and I, and I agree with you. I think that there's so much talent uh, locked up in, in in our veteran community, and and they want to do productive things, and I think they've got massive massively undertapped skill sets that they can use for civilian purposes as well. So I I applaud what you're doing there on on the veteran front for sure. Yeah, probably our best company in the portfolio is a company called Measure IO, and they're doing data for agriculture technology. So basically, they have the sensors in the ground that measure nutrition and moisture in the soil and can communicate that via IoT to any device that, you know, the owner, the farmer, or the person who owns the, um, the golf course can really get a lot of instant data and, and use their staff accordingly. So it can help with labor costs. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, and you mentioned that you're an angel network as opposed to a fund. Uh, do you want to speak a little bit to, to the listeners who may not be familiar with those two terms? I'm assuming that in a network, it's sure. not a, it's, it's, it's more of a pledge type of arrangement or is it, is it something? Well, it's really, that? it's really up to the individual angels. So as we'll get into, I run the entrepreneur support organization. So I find the deals and I'm networking at every entrepreneur event on the, in the Southeast. And um, so I just kind of, I go to the pitch contests or I run the events and I run the million cups events and I find these entrepreneurs at a very early stage and I, you know, make them jump through a few hoops where they have to achieve some milestones, very simple milestones. And, um, and then the ones that I like, I put in front of our investors, they do a little bit more due diligence, but they all tend to act very quickly. And we're usually the first money into a lot of deals where we're not necessarily the lead investor um, because that's not really how every angel round kind of works. We're more in the, as you've probably heard, the friends, fools, and family rounds, <laughs> you know, where I'm the fool and the friend. And um, to be really clear with your, your audience that I am not personally an angel investor. Most of my work has been done in nonprofits and academic and 
um, you know, economic development organizations. So I, I have not really earned that investor tax bracket, if you will. Um, <laughs> but but I'm, I'm the guy who goes and finds the deal flow and our experienced investors do more of the due diligence and probably have one or two meetings. And then they, again, like I said, we actually move pretty quickly. We're not that three month long uh, interview process for a pre-revenue company that really doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I, I feel the urgency of the entrepreneurs uh, because I see them almost every day in some capacity. And I know how much they need the fuel to grow. And a three month process just doesn't work at that stage. That's, that's really key. I think, I think a lot of people are, uh, when you talk about angel networks or angel funds, even they worry about the amount of time that they're going to spend relative to the size of the check or the likelihood of getting the check. That's great that you guys have done 14 investments. I mean, that shows that, that the process works and that you can, can get, get the team, you know, get the team put together to make the investment. Is that the, it seems to me that the real key part of your job is not just to vet them the, the, and find the right opportunities, but then it's to match them with the right group of investors. Because I imagine if you don't pick the right group of investors, right. that three it might turn into a three-month process, right? Yeah, it's I. So we work very fast. I, you know, again, I have a very small number of investors where barely an angel network, if you mm -hmm. want to think of it that way. You know, it's just a, a few of my friends who who have you know obviously done well in their career. Um, but I think because of my network across North Carolina, because I have worked in every major market in North Carolina, that I have contacts that I can say, hey, we've now validated this startup. We've written the check. Uh, I think you should take a look at it, too. And again, I'm not an MBA. I'm just a hustler. I'm that guy that you see at every networking event because I'm 6'5 and I used to have red hair. So I really kind of stand out and everyone sees me at every event. Um, if you remember Jeffrey Gittimer, I remember going to a bunch of his events in Charlotte where he said, if there's a hundred butts there, your butt better be there too. <laughs> and I followed that for 20 years. And so, um, you know, I'm a known commodity, whether you think I'm a pain in the ass or you like what I do, um, I'm always at these events. So um yeah, we, we do our best to find additional investors for the early stage companies that we have, you know, invested our time and money into. Yeah, I think I think that's really important and being able to help with with the follow on money and how to kind of manage expectations uh, with investors. I'd like to switch gears for just a second, though, because you mentioned another organization that you're involved with. I, I gather that that's NEW or new. Can you can you tell the listeners what that is? Sure. In 2013, I was recruited from Raleigh to Wilmington by the chancellor of UNC Wilmington as they were opening a new incubator at the university. And uh, I worked there for a year and a half and really got some great results. Um, we were named one of the, the top 100 incubators in the country and we were only 12 months old. Wow. So in April of 2015, I left the university and started my own independent nonprofit called the Network for Entrepreneurs in Wilmington. And if you are familiar with the CED, which is the Council for Entrepreneur Development in the Raleigh-Durham market, um, they at one time were the world's largest uh, independent 
entrepreneur support organization in the world. And so I just kind of, I've been copying their model for the last 20 years with the things they do with events and connecting entrepreneurs to capital, more importantly, preparing entrepreneurs to find capital, uh, kind of communications and, and mentoring. And so I just, I've taken that model for the last 20 years of, in various organizations. And, and that's how I got restarted in Wilmington. We uh, take over a, a brewery in Wilmington called Ironclad Brewery, which is right downtown. And they just, they allow us to, uh, to have our events there for free because they get to sell a lot of beer and that works for them. And awesome. uh, we fill up their, you know, their event space in once a month, usually on the third Thursday of every month. And um, we have fantastic speakers that I invite in, usually from Raleigh-Durham, because if I invite them in on a Thursday, uh, they'll visit their beach house for the weekend. So of uh, the over 60 investors that I've brought to Wilmington over the last five years, I've got, gotten one no in five years from an investor who didn't want to come to the beach. Um, and of course that sticks in my crawl a little bit about that one person, but um, you know, we have great events. We help the entrepreneurs meet the VIPs that come in to speak. They learn from the agenda. It's never just networking. And um, we're very proud of our events and the impact that they've had to make Wilmington a, a better entrepreneur ecosystem. So it sounds like you started new first. Did you did you then create whale out of frustrations that, that you uncovered with new or did you just I find did. some synergies or? I did. There's a reason that new is called new is because the good old boy network wasn't helping the new entrepreneurs in Wilmington. Um, you know, I've never been a fan of the good old boy network because I'm not part of it, of course. Um, you know, my, my family is not from North Carolina, as you can tell, I'm, I've got a little bit of a nasally Chicago accent. Okay. And so, um, the, the existing angel network who had been around for a long time was not, um, was not investing in the local deal flow. They were so heavily involved in kind of the national angel capital association that they were getting deal flow from all over the country and even Canada. And that's not wrong. That's their process. But I was there to build an ecosystem. I was there to build a local economy. And that means you have to find the fuel for your entrepreneurs and um, the fuel they need to grow. And obviously part of growing and scaling is, is hiring. And you can't do that when there's no available fuel to to, to grow. And so sure. that's why I created whale. I created whale in November when the ecosystem organization started in May. Great. So how, you know, how did you get involved in the startup community scene? I know, I know you mentioned that you had done it before in Raleigh. I think you have some ties to Charleston as well, but how'd you really get started in, in building these startup communities? Well, I was living in your fine city of the queen city of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I was selling websites for a small web design firm. And I was, like I said, I was networking at every event around town. And none of these young startups that were these dot-com companies, keep in mind, this is 1999 and 2000. And again, um, there wasn't really, 
there wasn't a place where an entrepreneur could meet an investor, could meet the lawyer and accountant, to meet the media, to tell the story, and to meet mentors. There wasn't an existing there wasn't an existing business organization that worked at the speed of technology entrepreneurs. And to keep in mind, this is the time that uh, Doug Lebda of Lending Tree is getting started. This is exactly when Michael Prager and uh, Avid Exchange is getting started in Charlotte, but there was no help for them at all. Like, um, you know, uh, that was a time when if you lived in Charlotte, people asked you what bank you work for. It wasn't really an option of what else you did. It was what bank and what church did you go to? <laughs> so it wasn't really working at the speed of the entrepreneur. And so I had, I was trying to sell websites with people, young entrepreneurs who had no money to sign a contract for us to do their website. So that's how I came up is I was desperately trying to do sales and sales of websites. And I knew that if I created a room where an entrepreneur met an investor that wrote a check, that they would have to come back to me and say, hey, Jim, thanks for that event. I met an investor. We wanna do a website with your firm. How do we get started? And that happened a little bit, but frankly, the, the entrepreneur events got much more attention and there was a hell of a lot more interest in putting on more and more of these events to the point where we had to change restaurants four times because we needed more and more space. That's great. And um, our events would sell out really within an hour of me putting out the email that, hey, we're having an event on March 24th. And <laughs> within an hour, it'd be sold out. And so uh, I just had to keep going to bigger and bigger events. So that's really how I got into the space. Um, my event in Charlotte in 2000, we started February of 2000. And my, my organization was called First Round, which meant you could come to our events and buy the first round of drinks or and find your first round of capital. And that's really how I came up with the name. Oh, that's really cool. I, I also see from, from your LinkedIn profile that you spent some time with the NC Depart with the North Carolina Department of Commerce. Can you speak to how state and local governments uh, interact with the startup communities? Maybe even talking about how that has changed from when you first got started doing this to, to today. Well, the challenge with that is that my role with the Department of Commerce was really in international trade. So how do you help how do you help North Carolina companies sell more overseas? So, you know, you have to achieve a certain amount of growth to even consider selling in Paris and London and, and China. Um, so that was really my role at Department of Commerce. With that said, I still kept my foot in, you know, in the uh, in the ecosystem because I was trying to find these companies at a very small stage. Got it, got it. Now, what, what has your experience been working with state and local governments now in in, in Wilmington, in Raleigh, in, in Charleston? Is, is there a big role for, for those groups to play? Obviously the group you were with was focused on a very different yeah. prize, but but is there a role for, for these governments to play and, and, and what do you think that is and how does that evolve over time as the as these ecosystems start to grow and build steam? Well, I think the state could do a whole lot more and I'm very vocal and they know that I'm very vocal about the things that I think they could do. The challenge that they have is they don't, the states rarely don't wanna get involved in the um, picking winners and losers. They, mm -hmm. they don't wanna pick 
invest in a company, invest time, invest resources, and then six months later, you know, that, that company has died. And that's why they're much more interested in, in the recruitment of companies, you know. But I think what states should be doing there's an old statistic from the Kauffman Foundation that says 70% of um, entrepreneurs that go through structured educational programming about being a better entrepreneur have a 70% chance of succeeding beyond three to five years. Wow. I think there's a role for that because, of course, the opposite is true if you don't go through it. You know, 30% or 70% of companies fail without that kind of programming in the first three to five years. And so why wouldn't you do more of that kind of training? But I think one thing, there are two things. One thing that the state does right, and this just happened in Wilmington for one of the first times ever, is the matching of an SBIR grant. So an SBIR grant is when the federal government puts out a request because one of their largest budgets, let's put you know, the, the military budget, they have a need for some kind of new technology that they want the private sector to do the research and development of because government's not really good at that kind of thing. So put it out and say, we're looking for this kind of technology to um, communicate to our soldiers um, in this kind of rugged environment of the desert or a swamp or whatever. And so that's what an SBIR grant is. And if you get one of these grants, it can be $250,000 in the first round, $1.2 million in the second round of funding. And then really the government becomes a client of yours and that budget's kind of unlimited. And so since Wilmington has never really had kind of what are called deep tech or hard science startups, most of them have been in the infotech or now fintech, of course, is the, the cluster of companies that's starting to grow in Wilmington. We've never had these deep tech companies that needed these SBIR grants. But uh, so now the state has, through the Department of Commerce, through my friend, Dr. John Harden, who I used to work right next door to, um, has access to match the grants from the federal government. So. We have a great company that I'm very proud of in Wilmington called Opiade, and they got a $250,000 grant from NIH, the National Institute of Health, and the state of North Carolina, because all of that validation had already been done, matched that grant with $75,000 more. So instead of Opiade going to find 14 angel investors at $25,000 a piece, they have this SBIR grant and the match uh, for $350,000 um, that is non-dilutive. So it means that they don't take any equity. These big SBIR grants don't take a slice of your company. So the later investors love that because the government has already covered the risk and expense of the R&D budget. And, and pairing up and doing a matching grant is is great because that way you're not as the state picking the winner. You're you're letting you're you're kind of outsourcing. It's already been job. validated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the other thing the state needs to do, and we used to have this before 2014, I believe is the date, is the angel investor tax credit. Um, 
North Carolina used to have a 20%, 25% angel investor tax credit that would, if you put $100,000 into a company, a young company before, let's say $5 million of revenue, uh, the angel investor could write off 25% of that investment on their state income tax. Now, all of our states around us have copied that legislation, but in 2014 or 2016, 2014, uh, they got rid of that, that tax credit. So we are desperately as a state of innovators trying to get that tax credit back. Um, but that's obviously a legislative issue. Yeah, and our, our uh, state government here hasn't shown the ability to, <laughs> to always make the best decisions for the state. One of the reasons for that is because obviously it doesn't impact rural communities who aren't, you know, very active in the innovation economy yet. Um, so if we have, you know, again, if we have what uh, I want to say there are 12 urban counties, so that makes 88 rural counties that really don't benefit from something like an angel investor tax credit. Wow, very interesting. One, one other thing that, uh, that I've seen working with, doing some economic development work myself with the former Charlotte Chamber of Commerce and Charlotte Regional Partnership, it, it seems like we don't do a good job connecting RTP, Charlotte, Wilmington, uh, other regional startup scenes. And, and I don't think any of us has a startup scene that you could point to and say, wow, this has enough critical mass. But I think if you could pull everything across the state and you start thinking of it, maybe even add in um, Charleston and, and Columbia into that mix. Now you've, it seems like you have a critical mass. What do you think we can do to better connect these different startup scenes? Is it a grassroots thing? Well, Does it have to come from the state? Does it have to come yeah. from the bigger companies? I really disagree. The Raleigh-Durham has, has enough density and critical mass. I mean, it's, it's a top five. I mean, just, just a, a rating, two rankings just this week or this, you know, in the last, I don't know, two, two months, I would say, you know, that um, said that Raleigh is a top five performing economy in the country. Wow. Uh, Wilmington, so in a recent study of ecosystems done by a company called Startup Genome, of the emerging ecosystems after places like Silicon Valley, um, Raleigh was ranked number 10 ecosystem, emerging ecosystem. Charlotte was ranked the 31st ecosystem and Wilmington was tied for 91 in the world. Yeah, no, and, and those, you're, you're right. I'm, I don't mean to say that there is no ecosystem in these places, but I'm, I'm more thinking about when you compare it with a New York or an Austin or, or Silicon Valley, which we, you know, we, I, I don't think any of these cities is yet at, at, at that point, but I do think if you put them all together, you combine the research universities, you combine the big businesses in Charlotte, you combine the, the, the information security industry and, and, uh, in, in Charleston, it starts to really compete with those world-class cities on in a real meaningful way. But obviously, it's more easily said than than done. But point taken, that a lot of great work has been done, and each of these, each of these cities is is pu certainly punching above their weight in a way that probably was hard to imagine 20 years ago. Well, I mean, again, CED was started 30 years ago by five service providers who wanted an organization to build their future client base. So CED was started by lawyers and accountants 
who wanted to have an innovation economy where they could find these startups at a very young age and kind of, you know, have that link up for life, you know, as a Fred Hutchison of uh, Hutchison Mason or now Hutch Law. I mean, he's given a million dollars over 30 years to entrepreneur support organizations in the South. So he's, you know, I think, I think you're right that these ecosystems don't work together, but they sure as hell try to work together. But, I, you know, I, the CED Venture Connect Conference is the South's largest venture conference for entrepreneurs and investors, where they have 600 to 1,000 people that come to this annual event. There aren't a lot of Charlotte companies that I see applying to that. Sure. They have every right. They're certainly eligible. No one's telling them that they can't apply. But does Charlotte really make an effort to connect to Raleigh-Durham where actually the resources are? So sure. Sure. I, have, I have, that is one of my top priorities. And I have a name for it. It's called the Coastal Corridor, where I invite CED. I invite the North Carolina Technology Association. I invite NCIDEA. Um, I invite them every time they have something that they want to promote. I invite them to come and speak for two minutes at my event. And because they're on stage, at the end of the event, every entrepreneur in the room can go up and say, hey, NCIDEA, how do I get one of those grants? What do I need to do? And what you find is, and I don't think Charlotte takes advantage of this, so maybe this is important for your listeners, is they have a geographic need to spread the resources. They need, the North Carolina Technology Association needs members in Charlotte. Uh, the, the NC IDEA needs applications to come in from the Charlotte market. Uh, CED, as an independent nonprofit, would love to have more Charlotte-based members, and they're welcome to. They have that as an opportunity. Um, but I, you know, if I flip it the other way, I'm not sure Raleigh is spending a whole lot of time in Charlotte either. But as kind of the center of this innovation, re you know, universe for North Carolina, you guys would benefit a lot if you spent some time, you know. Uh, Absolutely. And, and in a prior life, I was involved in a company that was acquired by Red Hat and I got to spend some time up there. And it really is amazing that when, when you think about, I mean, the biggest tech success story in the, in the history of the world, the, you know, Red Hat exiting to IBM for $34 billion fairly recently. And that's a North Carolina based company right down the street in Cary, you've got SAS, which is a fantastic success story. And the we world's really largest privately owned software company. Yeah, and, and you don't you don't have those. I mean, we, we've got success stories. You mentioned Lending Tree. You mentioned uh, Avid Exchange, but we don't really have that that tech pedigree uh, to nearly in the way that that, that, that Raleigh does. And it, that that's why the why I asked the question why why do we each try to think of ourselves as as cities and you know th these ecosystems that uh, that that don't, I mean, they communicate, but it isn't, you know, if we could somehow brand it as this is North Carolina, or this is the Carolinas, welcome to the Carolinas, you've got Wilmington, you've got 
the, the, you know, Raleigh and all of the great schools there. You've got Charlotte and its big banks who are big consumers of technology. You've got a lot of really great stuff going on in Charleston. It's just, it's baffling. But I think like most things, it's easier to say than to do. And I'm sure there's some incentive systems at the city and state levels that, that make it harder to kind of pull those resources together. It just seems like when you, when you take all of those cities and combine them into one kind of like they've done with the Panthers branding it as Carolina, not North or South Carolina, but it's, it's the Panthers. It, it just seems like there's, it, we, 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 we could really be a world-class force to be reckoned with. I really don't, I don't see how North and South Carolina would, would, um, participate like that as a region. Sure. I just, we're, um, you know, we're, we're all proud of the data that we have accomplished. I mean, the Wilmington ecosystem is really only seven years old. Most people in Wilmington, I'm a little biased, um, consider the opening of the UNCW incubator as the start of the ecosystem because, you know, Encino had only started a year before um, and right in 2013 is when Next Glass and Untapped uh, really got started. Um, so our ecosystem is very young and did not feel welcome. You know, we, uh, Wilmington, before I got there, really claimed that they were very isolated two and a half hours east of anything. Um, you know, Charlotte really doesn't come to Wilmington. You guys tend to go to Charleston and Myrtle Beach for your beach vacations. So we Very really true. don't feel connected to Charlotte. And again, it's that coastal corridor that I really pushed to invite those investors who really wanted to visit the beach. Just no one had really invited them before for a business purpose where, again, I have my events on a Thursday night and they stay in Wilmington until Sunday. And frankly, between you and I, John, I, I pray for rain because they won't have anything to do except for hey, I met an entrepreneur. Why don't I take that entrepreneur to lunch and, uh, you know, have a beer on Saturday? And, and that happens all the time now. That, that's great. It, it's interesting that you talk about um, that kind of feeling isolated from Charlotte. I've, I've had a few, uh, a few people on from Charlotte who have different um, events, whether it be our pitch breakfast event, which is a fantastic event that NC Idea actually shows up to, I think, once a quarter. Uh, and, and it's very well attended. It's very, very popular. Um, I've, I've talked to our angel fund here, uh, Greg Brown, the, 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 the current guy that's running our angel fund here in town. And both of them decided that they had to create a chapter for Davidson. Now, Davidson is 30 miles away from Charlotte, maybe, maybe yeah. even 25. Yeah. And, and what they're finding is that it's really two distinct crowds and you have, they just have to have events in both locations back when you had events in locations rather than virtual. But so, so I can see if, if Davidson and Charlotte have isolated themselves from one another, right. I can only imagine how it goes with Wilmington. And it, it's interesting that you do mention the beach thing because it is, it, it is I, I feel like very much Charleston and, and Myrtle and even Savannah to, to, to some extent are probably more Charlotte beaches than, than, than Wilmington is. It's, it's, it's a fascinating dynamic that that bleeds through in, into uh, something like what, you know, what we're talking about with eco, uh, these startup ecosystems. Hey, I, you know, I'm buddies with people like Keith Ludeman, Mac Lackey, Brandon Utley. Those, my mentor is uh, Mike McGuire, who used to run the Grant Thornton office there. Um, he's been my mentor for 20 years from the time I started my organization in Charlotte. So all of those guys have been to Wilmington. I make it very clear. Our events are free. 
as long as you're willing to hustle enough to get to the beach, which how hard could that should that be, <laughs> you know, uh, come on down where we're, our doors are wide open. Hell, I'll even buy you a beer if you come from Charlotte. <laughs> I'll, I'll pay for your gas. I mean, I just I'm just trying to introduce our entrepreneurs to as many people as possible, open as many doors as I can. In fact, you know, you mentioned Greg Brown. Greg Brown and I are on the same call with the Raleigh Durham Angel Investor Leaders every month where we discuss every deal that we're looking at so we can get other angels involved in our deal flow. And so there's 25 of us, sometimes a dozen, sometimes 20, 25 people on this call on a monthly basis. And we go one by one group and say, hey, I'm looking at these five companies. Does anyone know anything about this industry? Do you know these entrepreneurs? Do you know investors in your uh, network that would be interested in a startup in this industry? And we share a lot of information um, down to the personalities of the entrepreneurs, you know, so we don't waste anybody's time to say, hey, we looked at this company three months ago and the, you know, the entrepreneur has no follow through and, you know, didn't show up and stood us up for a couple conference calls and we would not suggest doing business with them. Those are the kind of things that we talk about. That's great. That's great that that's happening at a kind of a grassroots level because that's usually that that gives me hope for the future of collaboration between the cities that it's at least happening at a, at a grassroots level. But to your point, if you, if, if there aren't butts in the seats, people making the effort to, to come to the events in Wilmington, to go to the events in Raleigh, to go to the events in Charlotte, it's, it's, it's going to be hard. So I'd, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk about within the, within the angel network, what type of companies are you looking for? Yeah, all of our companies are very young. There's not a vertical industry because Wilmington doesn't have a vertical industry. Um, we have we have a, a, a company called Brilliant Soul that has a, a sensor that goes into the sole of your shoe and basically helps you with balance factors for uh, it used to be for gaming, but in health and VR, but now it's for healthcare. So, can this sensor really prevent people from having a fall when they're older and breaking a hip? Uh, we talked about Measure.io already, um, a company called Permits.com in, in Myrtle Beach. So, even though Wilmington is now forming a, a fintech cluster, we don't really have a fintech company in our portfolio because those are normally really well-funded companies spinning out of Live Oak that really don't need angel capital. Um, and so I'd like to come back to Live Oak for sure, because sure. I find that whole group fascinating. Um, but you, it sounds like you do pre-revenue type of investing. Is that true? Did I hear you mention that earlier? Yeah, well, our investors, of course, would love for the companies to be post-revenue and have a few clients, but you know, they're we so Wilmington has a lot of people that end up in Wilmington. You know, you guys can attract an MBA from some great university and they want to work at, you know, Bank of America for a couple of years and then spin out and do their own thing. We don't get those people. Um, we may now with Live Oak and Encino, but before 2013, we just kind of got people that wanted to live at the beach and they their career was kind of second a second thought. You know, it was that quality of place that attracted them to Wilmington. So we don't have those kind of people. So um, normally, you know, it's it's a person who's moved from somewhere else, looked for three months for a job, 
couldn't find a job and now they start a company around something they knew from wherever they moved from, from Boston or New York, and they want to start a company around their experience. And so they're kind of out of money. So we have to kind of fill that, obviously that financial need of helping them for enough fuel just to survive, to get to, um, you know, a place where they have a product and, and revenue. And again, we obviously we'd prefer to take some of that risk out, but that's just the deal flow that we have. That's the cost of building, yeah, <laughs> building some angel and, and venture yeah. capital in, in your city. Where there's right? never been an ecosystem before, where now you could spend four or five years at Encino, learn from that management, maybe learn some gaps in the industry that you as an entrepreneur could maybe start. And that's what we're hoping to see now that there's been an exit from Encino. There's been an exit from Untapped uh, or Next Glass, depending on how you call it, and um, and another company called Player Space. And now we're hoping the employees of those companies now get the itch and the bug to uh, become entrepreneurs. Yeah, I definitely want to revisit that that theme because I, I think that's a really really interesting theme, and and I think you're going to have some really interesting opinions on that. Before we shift to that, though. How you, you mentioned that you like to help your portfolio companies with further on down the road uh, capital raises. Uh, you mentioned mentoring through through new. How involved in your portfolio companies do you like to be? Do you go any more deeply than helping them raise capital and helping them match up with the right mentors? I think if you uh, contacted any of the companies in our portfolio, I over communicate to them about the things that they need. Um, so I, uh, I'm i a terrible sleeper, John. I wake up at 4 a.m. <laughs> in the morning and I got nothing to do between 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. when everyone else wakes up and maybe watches TV and makes a cup of coffee. I got three hours. So I'm reading every website, news website, everything I can find, Twitter, LinkedIn, and I'm looking for articles that I can send to my portfolio companies to make their day better. Here's an article today in Bloomberg about, hey, did you know that COVID has actually made the opioid crisis worse? The, the, the anxiety that makes them take these drugs has been grown by the pandemic where we're all, you know, we're all a little uh, cabin fever. And so the drug use of opioids has gone up. Well, I found this article I sent it to my port, you know, the company that's in the ecosystem. Unfortunately, we're not an investor yet. So I'm pushing for that, obviously. Um, but that one article from Bloomberg that has the ultimate headline, they can now use that in every sales pitch and every investor pitch as their opening slide and say, here it is in black and white in a publication that you trust called Bloomberg. And let's go, let's go make the solution to the a pain point in America. That's great. What a great, um, what a great problem to, to tackle. I mean, it's, it's sad that we, that we, that we have this problem, but kudos to well, that, that group for I mean, going after it. You, you want to solve Wilmington, big Wilmington is the number one city in America for opioid abuse with 11% of working age people with an addiction. Wow. Wow. Is there any hypothesis as to why that is or? Well, again, we're a place that people end up, okay. right? I mean, we've got, you know, people that have been pushed out of their house, you know, and they're given a little money to, you know, go to a place that's warm and 
we may be the closest warm place. Um, you know, everyone wants to live at the beach. We have, unfortunately, of course, some veterans that we've already talked about that mm -hmm. may have some some leftover issues from surgeries or wounds or whatever, and they get addicted. Um, those are those are the kind of problems that we're dealing with. Wow, wow. So you mentioned that you like to over communicate. And I, I think over communication is is almost always the right answer in any human interactions. Personally, what are things that you see founders get wrong when they communicate with their early stage investors? Well, I, I think I, I see this every day of, you know, someone who's just, they're so eager to go get that call without the preparation of looking to the you know, the background and the portfolio of what that fund has invested in. So we had a recent, I'll give you an example. We had a recent deal go in Wilmington, $2.9 million from Jurassic Capital. And there was a startup who has no revenue. And, and Jurassic Capital is more of a early, if it makes sense at all, an early private equity fund. They're not angels. They're not a venture fund. They're kind of an early private equity deal. And so a company was getting some mentor advice that, hey, you should go after Jurassic Capital too. They obviously like Wilmington. Well, that has nothing to do with what that fund is looking for. And, and so you can make that mistake as an entrepreneur of trying to present to them too early without having an established relationship. You know, we always talk about as an entrepreneur, you need to meet the investors before you need their money. You need to develop a rapport. It can't be, you know, a, um, it's not going to happen on the first date kind of relationship. You know, you have to, you have to know the investors, you have to know what they've invested in. You have to talk to their portfolio clients. What do the startups think, you know, after they got the check, what was that relationship like? They just got to spend a lot more time developing the rapport just like in any sales pitch that's that's great advice i think i heard a story that i'm sure wasn't true but somebody asked abe lincoln or george washington what they would do if they had seven seven days to chop down a tree that was very large and they said they'd spend six days sharpening the blade i'm sure right. neither of them said it but it's it's right. certainly certainly right. is, is instructive to, to do your homework uh, don't focus as much on the thing, focus on the prep work that goes into it. Cause that that's the part that drives the success. So I, I think that's, that's, that's great advice. So, and I, and I, I would also say that just know that you are probably not going to be able to raise the whole round that you need in your town. You have to, you have to get in your car in non pandemic days, shake some hands and not fist bumps one. fist but, bumps jim <laughs> yeah i mean you gotta you gotta nothing replaces that eye to eye you know look of confidence you know and 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 that is going to return very soon hopefully after the vaccines are fully um engaged but um you have to know that you're probably not going to be able to raise the whole round that you need and future rounds in your backyard you're going to have to go to events in Greensboro and Asheville and Charleston. They're, they have a great event called Dig South. Look up the Angel Capital Association right on their website. They list every single member right on their website of, you know, hey, there's 100 angel groups in the southeast, you know, 
they're not just in Raleigh and Charlotte. Wow, that's that's great advice as well. And how do you feel about mixing and matching um, friends and family or individual angel investors with the network? Is that something that you guys like to see other angel, not just other angel networks or funds, but individuals investing? Or is that something that you shy away from? Or what? what, no, what are your all of this there? is too hard to get picky, man. You got to take, <laughs> take that check when you can and find every, you know, finding, finding, uh, investors who have a taste for risk in North Carolina is hard enough. Um, obviously you have to make sure that there's going to be a good relationship, but I, I don't, I don't advise turning away a whole lot. You know, you always want smart money. Of course you don't, you know, I, I have a million stories of that pretend angel investor that sweats every night, whether they're going to lose their money and they wake up at 2 AM and they call the entrepreneur Hey, what did you do today to get my money back? You don't want those people. You have to have people who, you know, have a taste for risk. You know, we all call it the Vegas money that if they lost $25,000 in your startup, that's not going to cause a divorce in their family. Um, <laughs> you know, you also have to be able to look your aunt in the eye at Thanksgiving, you know, and so you have to be very careful with those relationships. But, um, you know, you have to, you have your friends and family are going to come first, the fools are going to follow them, and then you're going to find more um, sophisticated angels. I, I like that advice as well, for sure. Take take the money when you can get it as long as it isn't money that's too expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. And, and so things like NC idea, you know, you can validate your idea. And that's one of the things that I think I've brought to Wilmington is all these validation points of getting a little media coverage, winning a pitch contest, winning a, you know, best software company in North Carolina, when Pendo and, um, you know, uh, SAS and measure IO and, and all these companies that people have heard of, and yet you're the winner. I mean, this that happened to Next Class. That ha that helped Next Class. It helped Encino when there's 800 people at the North Carolina Technology Association, and here's a software company from Wilmington in the fintech industry that no one's really heard of, yet they were chosen as best software company in in the state. That opens some eyes when you're Raleigh centric and you think Raleigh is the center of the universe but a Wilmington FinTech software company wins an award in front of 800 people. That's one of the biggest awards of the night that has an impact. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We, uh, I mentioned that, that we had a company that was acquired by Red Hat and um, we, we, we were a small firm, about 135 people at the time that, that we sold, but we had really, uh, we were able to get some recognition. We really outkicked our coverage. I mean, we, we had a hype cycle um, that we were ranked as the leader in that hype cycle report. Uh, I believe, who is it that puts out the magic quadrants? Uh, Gartner, I think, had us as a leader in their magic quadrant for legacy modernization. And, and then um, we got an Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award for, for our, right. our CEO. And those things just get you some recognition in ways that are really hard to, to quantify. They take a lot of work. There's a lot that goes into getting those. They aren't necessarily easy things to get, but they certainly do validate. Um, for, you know, for if, if you want to be acquired by a red hat or get on the radar of a company like that, the more th those accolades certainly aren't going to hurt. 
Well, it helps when uh, I'm on the committee, right? It helps <laughs> when I'm the vote in the room and I can fight for a Wilmington company, you know, with all disclosure, of course, to say, hey, you know, this is in my ecosystem or, hey, I'm a mentor, but you don't have to vote for them, but you can say, I can excuse myself from this vote, but this is what this company has achieved. And I'm, I'm on all of those committees on purpose. I mean, that is why I participate in all these organizations. I'm on the North Carolina Technology Association awards event. I'm on the CED uh, committee that chooses the companies that go on stage. I'm on, I'm in the room when uh, at NCIDEA, I'm a, I'm a finalist judge, you know, that kind of votes at the end of the day of the 125 companies that apply, who are the five winners? I'm in those rooms and I fight for my companies and everyone knows that that's not a secret, but it's something that it's not so obvious when you're starting an ecosystem. Sure. Well, I'd, I'd like to shift gears to the startup scene in Wilmington. We've, we've already talked a lot about it. I, I guess first, can you, it, it's interesting to me um, because in, in your case or in the, in the case of Wilmington, you know, you've got the, an incubator, and an angel fund popping up right around the same time that you have a wild success story in Live Oak and Encino. Um, and, and so I'm curious though, how, and you mentioned that that was maybe seven years ago that, that those two, the two sides of your ecosystems kind of came into existence and, and maybe co-evolved. How has the scene changed through those, the seven years? I, just to set the stage, Dan Roselli here in Charlotte likes to talk about when he, um, when he first came to Charlotte, if you told someone you were an entrepreneur, they were like, oh, you're in between jobs at the banks. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, but can you maybe talk about how it's evolved over seven years? Because it sounds like it's, it's been, a, it's, it's evolved lightning, lightning fast there. So, you know, um, there wasn't a model or wasn't a poster child to put up on the wall and say, if you're an entrepreneur, look at this company and follow what they're doing. There wasn't that kind of company in 2013. You know, Live Oak Bank at the end of the day is a bank. They're a strange, unique, not strange, they're a unique bank that they don't have any branches. You know, everything they do is online. And so uh, within the bank, and they're a very large bank, they're the number one SBA loaning bank in America. But in their process, they found uh, a unique problem that they created with a piece of software that became known as Encino. And then in just last year, in July, I believe, Encino had the largest one day increase, first day increase of an IPO in the last 20 years since the dot-com bust. Wow. And so, you know, with that kind of success, then you start hearing, of course, everyone's asking him to give a speech around town and the entrepreneurs, little by little, start picking up the terms and they start understanding why things are done the way they are. And the people at Live Oak and Encino are very classy people. They are, um, you know, they do everything right. They say the right things. They're, they're, they're more corporate, but with kind of a, well, what they say is, and you'll love this, they say they hustle in comfort. <laughs> that is their internal kind of... Um, you know, way that they talk about how they work. They work very hard, but they believe that, you know, you know, an, a balance of life as well. And um, if you ever come to Wilmington, you really must see the headquarters of Live Oak Bank because you will think you are in Silicon Valley 
It is the most beautiful offices in all of North Carolina. And they are live oak trees that they made these, uh, these buildings out of. And they are just stunning. And they have their own cafeteria, very upscale. Everything is for top notch. The, the, the best place to work all around town and in the region. And yeah, it's, it's interesting that coming out of some- Where they're running from. Oops, sorry. I, I was gonna say, it's interesting. It was always interesting to me when I met Encino um, I, I met them. They had already raised money from Salesforce and SunTrust, and and yeah. learned about coming out of Live Oak Live Oak Bank, and they wanted to build all their loan origination software on Salesforce. And that it, it, it's it's interesting to think that something as unsexy as a bank can spawn a very cutting edge technology company, which now you'd be hard pressed to find a bank that doesn't know about Encino and isn't thinking about it. And they're capturing a a big trend, which is all of these mega companies moving to the cloud, which at the time they were doing this, nobody was thinking about that. It could only come from within a bank that has some visionary leadership because it it isn't gonna start at a Bank of America or JP Morgan. It's gonna start somewhere like that. so it's really fascinating. But one part that you know we haven't talked as much about, but my understanding is that that same group of, of business people started Canopy to go invest in fintech. Do I have that correct? Or is or the, or You have it. Related? We're the very proud owners of the largest venture capital fund in the South, down there at the beach. How about that? A $545 million plus venture fund for fintech, which makes it the largest fund in the South. There may be a biotech fund that's larger, but that's not what we're talking about. So this sure. is for a technology, fintech, software, venture fund, and it's right there at the beach. And I know that every city in America is going, what the hell just happened? How did that fund get started? And it's because they have the validation of Encino, that they know the pain points of the banking industry. And they went to 25 maybe 35 different banks and got them to contribute towards this venture fund with the understanding that if they invested, they had to use the software that was in the portfolio. So you just can't invest and keep a hands off. If you're gonna invest, then you're gonna use what we're investing in within your bank that invested in Canopy. And so, that that is how they started this massive venture fund that now the world is coming flying into wilmington uh to be fair they have offices all over the country including Mm -hmm. in california so the valley is kind of covered but you know a place most of these guys have never heard of in wilmington north carolina where is that is that near charlotte is that near raleigh no, we're actually two and a half hours away from all of that, but we're you know right there on the Atlantic Ocean. That that's great, and and I want to I want to talk about that, that like the connection between Live Oak and Sino Canopy, and that that when you couple that with the, an ecosystem that pairs up with mentors, now now all of a sudden you've got you've got the recipe, you've got the you've got the capital, you've got a big client in Live Oak, you've got a big success story in Encino. I, I I love the concept of the trillion dollar startup. Are you familiar with the trillion dollar startup? Or I've not heard of that, but I'm okay, so it's, eager to learn, sir. So so it's. I hope I get this right. I I've I've looked it up a couple of times and th- think I've got it mostly right. But uh, so Fairchild Semiconductor. If you draw a line showing the lineage to pretty much any of the modern VCs in Silicon Valley or any of the 
the big startups. And we're talking multiple generations, Apple, Facebook, uh, Uber, you know, I mean, it, but they all really draw lines back to Fairchild Semiconductor. And at one point, um, a book was written called the, Tr the Trillion Dollar Startup, or at least the term was coined, because if you drew that lineage and added up the market cap of everything that came out of Fairchild Semiconductor, it, it, add, it was a trillion dollars of, of market cap. Um, I saw this on a smaller scale growing up in, in, in the DC area. So AOL was a huge success story, massive, spawned tons of talent, startups, investors, I think Revolution Capital, um, I, I, that, that's Steve Case's money, um, or started from Steve Case's money. Even something similar happened with Capital One. Now you've got QED investors that came, that came out of Nigel, um, Nigel Morris, one of the founders of Cap One, and they, took all, they had all sorts of talent from Cap One. And, and, and I think it's this idea that, that these, these companies and startup success stories, it isn't just about what they do for themselves. It's three or four generations down the road, which it sounds like you guys are starting to, to reap the benefits of. Can you just maybe speak to the chicken and egg act between investors, community, and then successful startups and exits? Because it seems like they're all super interconnected. Yeah, so there's actually a film on that um, with Fairchild Semiconductors. I believe it's called The Real Revolutionaries. And uh, I actually have a, a copy of that film on DVD. And I was arranging for the, the makers of that documentary to come to North Carolina when I hosted a, a nanotech conference in Greensboro. But um, back to your question is, you know, you you can you have investors before you have um, an ecosystem? And, and I think where we are now is we're trying to build the FOMO. We're trying to find the investors in Wilmington who missed out on Encino, who missed out on Untapped, even though I'm not sure how you can do that because I, I was everywhere within, with um, Untapped and Next Glass. I, I, um, I worked very hard on their behalf in every promotional way. I tried to get investors, I did get investors interested. Um, and now that player space has had an exit as well, we are trying to work on that FOMO of, hey, you missed out on those deals, but now we have three more deals that we think are equal or you know on the same planet as um, the ones that you missed. So that's what I'm doing now. And that's what I've been doing for the last two years. Because at a certain point, a company like Encino doesn't need the ecosystem as much. And you may do a few things around, you know, connecting them to some media relations. But um, at some point, you know, they've got people on staff that do what you can help them with. So um, you move on to the kind of the next generation of companies because we all knew that Encino was going to have an exit and we knew they were going to have an IPO. Um, but we also knew that there were an awful lot of people who wish they had gotten in on Encino. And so that's what we're doing now is we're building the ecosystem to build the next generation of startups and hoping that that FOMO is strong enough that they'll get much more involved in the next set of companies that need capital. Does that kind of address that, that, that does, you know, and, and I think it is a balancing act because it's much easier when you have those success stories 
um, it is hard because you look at Encino and you, I mean, you, you could argue the same thing for Charlotte, as you mentioned before, Michael Prager, uh, didn't have an avid exchange, didn't have an, uh, that, that, that on that ecosystem to support them, but it was such an exceptional group of people that they kind of powered through. And, and, and so it, it just because I, uh, one of your top success stories didn't need the ecosystem doesn't mean that it shouldn't be there. Right. You, 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 can, right. you kind of want to have both because um, we can't all be Michael Prager's right. right. <laughs> but Michael Prager can contribute to the ecosystem. He can take what he's learned from a, a meeting with Brad Feld come back to Charlotte and say, I learned these three things when I was in Boulder, Colorado, pitching my company to Brad Feld and uh, the Foundry Group and Techstars. And um, that those, those three things that he learned could mean different things to different entrepreneurs at different stages, but you have to share the knowledge. And that's, that's what we have been working on for the last seven years is how do we take all this retired talent in Wilmington that's been moving there since I-40 expanded in 1990. And how do you get them to share contacts, experiences, lessons learned, maybe some scars, maybe some capital with the entrepreneurs that are just getting started? And that's in the essence of an ecosystem. Absolutely. So, so do you, in, in, in the case with Wilmington, um, cause, cause in Charlotte, I, we, I think that we started, I mean, we did have, uh, you, you mentioned lending tree. I think, uh, there was an exit with DC 74. There was an exit with peak 10. There were a small number of, of success stories, but not that mega avid exchange type yep. of, or Encino type of success story. Um, and, and, and so I, I, but I think if you look at some of the efforts with venture prize and some of the early efforts that you were talking about, and now with what Dan Roselli and Packard Place and Queen City QC FinTech have been doing and, and, and a handful of others, it feels like they're starting to come together, um, even if they didn't start from the same place, even if the success stories didn't start in, in those incubators. Is, is, it, is it similar in Wilmington or because you started so early on with Encino, to, are, are they a little bit more closely tied to one another in, in, in a sense, or is, is, is it just random that they happen to start at the same time <laughs> or no, around the same time? Yeah, it's well, what really happened was that the leader of the entrepreneur network who was working at the university actually took a job at Encino and that's what created the job opening for me and the opening for the, the chancellor to start the incubator building. Um, so um, I wouldn't say that, you know, Encino really again had such experience management that they really weren't that active in using the ecosystem other than I would nominate them for an award or <laughs> some reporter would reach out to me and say, hey, what is this company Encino? And I would put them in touch with the leaders that I knew you know, and two days later, there's a great article on the front page of WRAL TechWire or Hypopotamus out of uh, out of Atlanta, or I had connections in Nashville and Charleston and New Orleans that if I send them a press release, they're looking for content. And, um, and I think that's something that Charlotte could probably do a little bit better is, you know, working on behalf of the entrepreneurs and the startups and getting some external media coverage to build some buzz for Charlotte and the ecosystem. Well, even, uh, even buying from, from the, 
you know, have the city buy the services that are developed here, right? We, I'm, I don't know if you heard about, um, if you've heard much about Passport, they're probably a second generation success story. Everybody's heard of Red Ventures and, and Avid yeah. Exchange, but, but Passport's a really, really big success story here. And early in the going, they went and pitched their solution to Charlotte and didn't even get shortlisted uh, for a parking yeah. solution. And, and the answer from the, the city government at the time was that they weren't they weren't yet at a scale where they could support a city the right. size of Charlotte. And not one month later, they win a deal for city of Chicago. And it's just yeah. kind of a head scratcher. We're, we're, we're good enough for, for Charlotte or for, for Chicago, but not for Charlotte. I mean, it, it's, but it, that's the, that's the DNA of Charlotte, right? <laughs> where it's not a, you know, where it's not a venture community. It's a, you know, uh, a loan community. It's yeah. not, you know, it, it's not uh, the risk taking is very measured. And that is what entrepreneurship is all about. And if your DNA is in banking and, you know, uh, I'll apologize in advance, but if banking and the church are your two priorities <laughs> of your city, entrepreneurship really isn't in the mix. Is that and, fair? And yeah, that is fair. And to be fair to Charlotte, they when they did look for a a uh, a, a payment solution for the blue uh, the blue light rail line, my understanding is that they went straight to Passport. But obviously, at that point, there was not a lot of risk because Passport had become one of the right. biggest players in the space. So. Right. Right. Yeah. But I well, mean, well, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of wealth in Charlotte that could be put to work if you know you took you know, the diversifying your portfolio to five to 10% of, you know, some of these really wealthy people who are living in Charlotte, you know, the, you know, it's a real challenge to find angel investors. They don't just put up their hand in the middle of a, you know, of a football game and say, hey, I'm on the big screen. I'm an angel investor. Come and find me. Um, you know, we, I think there's just an awful lot of wealth in Charlotte that if you could find a way to approach them and and define you know the portfolio diversity and you know at some point this is an emotional game the my lead investor in wilmington is the owner of the brewery and he's got a son in college and he's thinking where is my son going to work is he going to be able to live in wilmington probably not when we got started but could he find a job now that he's graduating with an mba and he came back and we had some connections at Encino or the new spin out under Live Oak is called Aperture that just raised $30 million this year. Yeah. Could he go work for Next Glass, even though they've been acquired by a private equity firm, they still have an office, they're still growing, they're still investing. Yeah, you could go work for that. So that's why he became an angel investor. It was just as much about the emotion of finding jobs creating jobs, being a good corporate community citizen. And hey, one of these is going to hit big and I'm going to get my, you know, my money out of it and hopefully make a profit. But you, you have to find those people. And that again, is yeah. just as much an emotional pitch as it is a, that it is a financial risk proposition. Well, not, nothing motivates people like legacy and and what are my how are my kids going to have a better life than I had, right? I think that that's a really good a really good message for angel investing in 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 cities that don't have a long history of entrepreneurship, a long history of venture capital, a long history of of early stage investing is to, is to really think about those future generations for sure. 
you know, it is, it's about kids and grandkids. Mm -hmm. You know, do you mm -hmm. want your children when they become adults, do you want them to live by nearby? So when you have your first grandchild that they also live by nearby, or you're going to have to go visit them in Boston or, you know, New York or Silicon Valley or Chicago, why not help build part of the economy right where you live and they can grow their family right next to you where you already live, which is, you know, Wilmington and quality of place where people want to live by the ocean. Why can't you have a great economy and a great quality of place? And that's what I talk about with Austin, Texas. The only place that gets me out of North Carolina to live is I want to, for the last 20 years, I've wanted to live in Austin. Why? Because it's live, work, play. Yep. Every night, there's 100 places for live music, and I'm a little old for live music now, but <laughs> there's college basketball, college football, there's great weather when it's not 125 degrees, but I mean, it's got live, work, play. Yep. And I think cities, if they focused on that, you know, what I do is not rocket science. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, and again, I'm not an MBA. I just have, I bring a, a blue collar work ethic to a white collar industry and I push things. I push the barriers out of the way for the entrepreneurs. I clear the way. I make it a little bit easier to find the things that they need. And that's really what I do every day as an ecosystem leader. Well, well, that's awesome. And that's a great, um, great note to end on. I think we covered everything that I was was hoping to get out of this. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me today, Jim, and I'm going to, um, I'm going to go back and, and, uh, and, and listen to a few of the resources that you mentioned, if you'd shoot me an email with a couple of the a couple of the resources that you talked about, I'd love to put them in the show notes so that people can, can, can check those out and read more about everything that we've talked about. You, you were kind enough to share a handful of links about the ecosystem with me prior to our, to our interview. And I'll also post those to the show notes as well. Okay. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jim. Really appreciate having you and, uh, and best of luck.